have two older brothers and we would always play house together and I would always be like in my little kitchen like just um, cooking them food or whatever and it's funny because they are my two older brothers but every time we would go somewhere people thought that I was the oldest because I was always I was always the one taking care of them, always the one making sure they were okay, and I, that trickled on to my life and my friendships. So people know me as the mom of the group, of the always the one that having sandwiches prepared or having uh, tissues or wipes or just you know everything um, for the group, and that's just my nature. Like I love to take care of people, I love to love on people and just nourish them and host them. Um, so. Growing up, I just, that was who I was. And the Lord just began to put that desire in my heart. Like I knew that one day I wanted to be a mom. Like that was the biggest desire in my heart is to one day have children of my own and nurture them and just be who that who I'm supposed to be because that's, that's just like everything that I always desired and always dreamed of. I remember Go, being rushed to the hospital um, at 22 years old for an abdominal abdominal pain and um, I went into an immediate surgery and what was supposed to be a 45 minute surgery turned into a two hour surgery um, and after I was waking up from the surgery that's when the doctor came into the room and told my mom and I that I was diagnosed with endometriosis to sit in that hospital bed and for the doctor to tell me that it was gonna be <sighs> it was a very high risk high possibility for me to be infertile and for me to not have children when my entire life that's all I dreamed of and all I desired and for him the doctor to just come shut it down that literally just turned my life upside down and I just started to get so angry with myself because I started to think, okay, I'm a woman, and if I'm not even good enough to have babies, then what am I good enough for? I'm not good enough for anything. Why am I even here? Those are the thoughts that started coming to my mind. If I started going from doctor to doctor, from treatment to treatment, from medication to med, I literally felt like I was a lab rat because nothing seemed to work. And yeah so i just felt like i wasn't good enough i went through two years of just going through different doctors different medications different treatments and nothing worked so at 22 it was just kind of like okay god are you there and then at 24 it was just like god i know you're not there you know i began to deal with it internally and just within myself and it was just me and god but then i felt like it was just me you know, I felt like God wasn't there. My friends started to, you know, date and started to get um, the person that they were going to get married. And so marriage started happening. I started going to all these weddings, you know, and then babies started coming to the picture. I came to a season of just worry and anxiety and fear and, and all of that rooted from the, um, the, the wanting, the need of just being loved and being accepted. Um, and so because I wasn't getting that, I went into a season of loneliness. I just felt alone. I'm now 27, so it has been five years since I was first diagnosed with endometriosis. And my story is still not over. I'm still 
dealing with endometriosis. Um, I'm still single. I'm not married yet. I still don't have children. Um, and so my story is still being written. I'm not over that battle. Um, but the difference between now and, and when I was 22 years old is now, because the past five years, I was just trying to fill in my emptiness and my loneliness with all these different things. And I exhausted myself trying to fulfill the needs of others instead of myself. And I just remember um, throughout this whole time, throughout the past five years, the scripture that I kept coming back to was in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? And I remember just living that, living in verses one through two. I was trying to find different ways to fulfill my happiness um, other than Jesus. Um, but one of the the things that I love about this scripture is that the psalmist doesn't stop there. You know, David doesn't stop there. He goes on and, and goes into uh, verses five to six. And he says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I'm still struggling with my battle. I'm still dealing with endometriosis. I'm still dealing with all of those things. But now, um, even though my situation and my diagnosis hasn't changed, my perspective has changed. And I'm no longer living in verses one and two, but now I am living in five through six. Well, I will rejoice in the Lord um, because I know that when the past five years, I felt like I had nothing medically, uh, you know, nothing, I, nothing worked for me in the medical field. Um, but now with Jesus, I have everything. God doesn't go back on his word and he will do what he said he will do. His word will come to fulfillment. Um, and his timing is perfect. I love that about God. I love that about Jesus is that he is perfect. And because he is perfect, his timing is perfect. So um, his promises will never fail. Going through all of that, I began to realize that, okay, I may feel like I have nothing, but when, G when, when I have Jesus, just Jesus, I have everything. Woo, what a testimony. <laughs> um, so today, as you've heard from Francis, we're talking about the topic of loneliness. We're in this series where we're taking these different areas of kind of mental health and struggles that all of us go through at different times in our lives. And, uh, and today we, we take up loneliness, and there's so much that we can say about loneliness. And um, loneliness, you know, the, the, the feeling of being alone, like, there, like there's nobody there, like, like it's just us, sort of like Francis was, was just talking about. Loneliness was um, what many people, what many researchers called an epidemic. Loneliness has been an epidemic even before this last year of a pandemic that we've been through. It's been an issue and it's been a problem. Um, and there, there are a few statistics that highlight this problem and, and all of us could testify in different ways about how we've dealt with this as well. But here, here are some things. Loneliness, quote, loneliness is more dangerous than obesity and as damaging to health as smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, I don't, I don't know how you measure that necessarily, but it's not good for your health uh, to be lonely. For senior adults, quote, 
an estimated $6.7 billion in annual federal spending is attributable to social isolation. So our federal government's going to spend almost $7 billion dealing with the problem of isolation and loneliness in our senior population. Quote, poor social relationships were associated with a 20% increase in heart disease and a 32% rise in the risk of stroke. Quote, 71% of the millennial generation and 79% of Gen Z uh, report being lonely. I mean, that's nearly everybody. Three out of four of our younger population report being lonely. And most researchers attribute this directly to the advent of social media. The rise of technology has given us the feeling of being connected without actually giving us real connectivity. We're more connected than ever, but we're not actually, uh, we are without connection. I mean, there's not real depth there. And this youngest generation, like I've said, who we call digital natives, they're growing up, you know, there's many of us in in the room uh, that grew up without a time before there were screens and smartphones and social media. They're digital natives. This is all they know. And these youngest among us, some people in the room I see, um, they are reporting that they are the most lonely generation and anxious generation of any that we've ever had since we've been measuring these things. So clearly, things were bad and they are bad in the area of loneliness. And again, all of us could testify individually of how we've dealt with this in our own lives. Um, Emily Claire and I, like she mentioned earlier in the call to worship, we, we were on a trip Monday through Thursday of this week down to the white sandy beaches of Florida. You don't want to go. It wasn't that great. Um, but uh, we, we, while we were there, we literally ran into uh, this musical artist that we like. Uh, his name's Judah Akers. Uh, the band is Judah and the Lion. He does some solo stuff as well. That doesn't really matter. But uh, we, we saw him riding on a bike, and we sort of said, hey, that's Judah. We saw him, and he kind of, you know, acknowledged that, that who we were. And we thought, oh, that, you know, that's kind of cool that he's here. And then literally, we're, we're walking on the beach, like along the water, and then he, I mean, there's hundreds of people there all around, and it just so happened that he was walking toward the water while we were walking across it, and we literally ran right into each other. And we were like, okay, what do we do, you know? Uh, and so I was thinking, you know, we just kind of say, hi, you know, what's up, and we keep going. Thinking that on vacation, a, like, semi-well-known person is going to want to just keep going and not be disturbed by random people that recognize him, right? And it was really weird. He sort of lingered like he almost wanted to talk and we were you know I was thinking we would just say oh hi and you know keep on going by um but he he sort of wanted to like stop and chat with these random people that he doesn't know but recognized him and so we stopped and we talked for a little bit and and based off of like that conversation and a couple things he said I couldn't help but think about this message that this person who is very well known, you know, has thousands and thousands of followers and people that, that, would, that would know him, uh, but he's coming to the beach on vacation and wants to have real conversation with real humans. After a year of isolation and loneliness and doing nothing but recording music, you know. And, and I thought about this, like, I, I think that it has something to do with his loneliness and isolation that he would want some real human interaction even while he was on uh, a vacation, right? And many of us maybe have, have felt like this, uh, very lonely. And obviously, uh, this past year has only 
made it worse, you know. We've sort of been forced into isolation and maybe not being able to see a lot of the people that we love and maybe not being able to gather with the people that we thought we would um, in this last year has made it even harder on us. So loneliness is certainly a problem. And obviously, it is not the way we were created to be. This is not the way that God made us. God made us for community, not loneliness. God made us for community, not isolation. And that's the point of the sermon today, is that God made us for community, not loneliness. Now, you may think this is obvious, but I really want to unpack this statement and this phrase and this scripture uh, to really help us when we think about battling loneliness and what that means for you and I in our lives as we follow Jesus together. Because our only hope for combating the epidemic of loneliness is to look at Scripture and we're going to see why we are created for community and then we're going to see how to fight loneliness. So there's the why. Why are we created for community? And then what do we do about it? How do we fight loneliness? First, the why. Why are we created for community? Why do we feel lonely at times? Why, why do we feel when we're by ourselves, we, we feel like there's nobody else? Where does this come from? What is, what is going on there? Well, it's because we are created in the image of God. And Alberto read earlier, Genesis 1, 26 and 27, that says, we are created in the image of God, male and female. He created them, us. God created in his image. We bear the image of God. It's a doctrine known as the Imago Dei, which is just Latin for uh, for image of God. We are created in the image of God, okay? And this teaches us many things about uh, how we live and how we should interact with one another, but for our purposes today, it teaches us that we are created for community. How? Well, God is a community in and of himself. Did you know this? That our God is triune, he, he is Trinity. God is Trinity. He is three in one. He is one being, yet three persons. One God, and the one God is three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He is, um, to, to put it in more simpler terms, he's one what and three who's. He's one being and three persons. He's one what, but he's three who's. There is, there is three um, persons of God. Now, the doctrine of the Trinity obviously difficult uh, for us to to comprehend because there's some mystery there. Uh, But yet this is what we see in the Bible, that there is one God who has eternally existed as three persons. So for us to be created in the image of a God who is a community means that we are created for community. Do you see? We, We are created to be in relationship with others because our God is in relationship with himself. Three persons, one being. So, because we are created in the image of a God who is community, we are created for community. That is to be in relationship with God, kind of vertically, right? But also to be in Uh, relationship with others horizontally as well with other people we are created for community and this teaches us so much about loneliness right of course loneliness is a problem and loneliness is a is a problem for us because it goes against the very nature of God the God whose image we are created in okay so in Genesis 1 26 and 27 we sort of get the overview of 
um, a man and woman being created in the image of God. But then if we go to Genesis 2, it's sort of like the author, I believe Moses, kind of double clicks on verses 26 and 27 and then zooms in on the creation of man and woman. And that's what we get in Genesis 2. And if you're reading through Genesis 1 and 2, if you just opened up your Bible, you've never read it before, um, and, and you're reading about the days of creation, and you remember what God says about creation. He says after, uh, you know, after he created the, the birds and, the, and whatever, he, he says that it is what? Every day after creation, it is good. It is good. It is good. It is good. We see that after every day of creation. And so if you're just reading, reading Genesis, you know, casually flipping through, and, and you get to Genesis 2, verse 18, you should have some mental whiplash. Because all you've been reading is, it is good. Creation is good. Everything's perfect. It's good. It's good. It's good. And then you get to Genesis 2, 18, and all of a sudden, something is not good. The first thing that God says is not good. And again, keep this in mind, this is before Genesis 3. Before the man and the woman give in to temptation, before sin enters the world, there was something that was not good. And it was loneliness. Loneliness is the only thing that was not good before the fall. Isn't that interesting? All the other things that we could attribute, uh, any other problems we have in our lives, uh, we could attribute to sin and the fall. Any evil, any problems, any pain that we go through in this life, we chalk it up to that moment in Genesis 3 where the man and the woman uh, rebelled against God. But there was one problem before the fall, and the problem was loneliness. In Genesis 2, 18, then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. It's not good that the man should be alone. So this is... um, interesting and should really cause us to gasp, right? And again, this is before Genesis 3. We are created then to be in community with and in connection with God and with others, okay? Our feelings of loneliness are not a result of sin. It is a result of who we were created to be. Now, Tim Keller summed this all up when he wrote, quote, loneliness is the one problem you have because you're made in the image of God. And this is profound, that the feelings of loneliness that you and I experience uh, are, are, are because we are created to be in community with God and with others. The pre-fall picture of man is that there's one man and one woman. They're humanity living in perfect uh, relationship with one another and with God. That, then, is the picture that we are to pursue in this life, right? And it is the picture of what is going to be in the new heavens and new earth. We will again live in perfect harmony with one another and with God, and we strive to make that a reality now. So that's the why. That's the why. Because we are created in the image of God. That's why we are created for community. That's why we need one another, right? And that's why we need to be in a relationship with God and with one another. We are created for community because we're created in the image of God. We need one another. So then, how do we fight this loneliness? Like, what, what do we do about our, our feelings of loneliness? What do we do with the 80% of young people that are reporting loneliness? What do we do with the, um, all of the resources and time that are being devoted to uh, the oldest, our, our oldest population that is struggling with loneliness. All of us battle with this. So what do we do? What, has God done something? Has he given us something to help combat loneliness? And of course he has. So how do we fight this in our technological slash COVID-19 world? 
Well, there are several things that God created that I believe that we can take part in to combat loneliness. Several institutions, several relationships that God created for us to partake in. Several gifts that we can partake in so that we can fight against loneliness. And the good thing is that when we battle against loneliness, not only are we um, meeting our own needs, but we're helping the needs of others as well, (laughs) right? When we pursue and fight against loneliness, we're not only, ourselves aren't being lonely anymore, but whoever we're connecting with is also not lonely anymore, right? Which is what we are called and and created to be, okay? So as I was meditating on this passage, Genesis 2.18, it is not good that man should be alone. It is not good that there is loneliness. And so what God did when he created the woman, when he created another human being for Adam to be in relationship with, he in effect created several other things as well. Now, track with me here. When God created Eve, he also created several other um, institutions or other relationships that you and I can take part in. Okay? And these are the ways that we can fight against and combat loneliness. Okay, work with me. What else did God create when he created the woman? What else did God create when he created the woman? Each of these are things, again, that we can partake in to fight against loneliness. Well, first, when God created Eve, he created the institution of marriage, right? Um, Now, marriage at its best, okay, pre-fall and what we strive for, marriage at its best, one man, one woman living in union with one another and with God, okay? Now, I believe that marriage is, is normative, right? This is uh, what will, most people will um, experience, and it is one line of defense against loneliness. Not the only one, but it is one line of defense against loneliness. Again, at its best, it gives us a partner to walk through life with, right? To, to live in relation with God and with one another. This is one way that we can combat loneliness. Now, as soon as I say this, I know that all of our unique situations and circumstances arise. You know, I know several Uh, who have been divorced. I know several who have lost their spouses, right? Um, We all have different unique situations and circumstances when it comes to marriage, right? And and, um, in that way, marriage is not what it was supposed to be as God designed it, right? And there's others of you that maybe want to be married but haven't found the spouse yet, right? But all of these things to say that that is one institution that helps us fight loneliness, right? And your situation is what it is. But marriage by itself cannot fight loneliness, right? By itself, it doesn't work. You know, Emily Claire and I got married as soon as we graduated college, basically. And we went to school at uh, the University of Oklahoma. And, uh, and we moved, you know, after building relationships in Norman, Oklahoma for four years, we moved to the Houston area and, and we were married, right? And we had spent four years building relationships and community in one place and then to kind of be plucked up and, and, and moved somewhere else where we don't have those relationships in that community was very hard. And so we had a, we had a, a healthy and a, a, a great marriage. We had one another, yet we still battled feelings of loneliness. We were still lonely even though we were together. So marriage is only one way to fight loneliness, but it is not the only way. We need other people in our lives as well to combat loneliness. So marriage is is one, but when God created the woman, he also created the family or the ability for there to be a family, right? Again, this is um, normative. I I believe God is setting out the normative pattern for how life will work. Man and woman united together in fellowship with God and that union produces children. Again, 
I know that that's not everybody's situation, as, as Francis even testified, but all of us, we do have some sort of family that God has given us. And I'll just leave that there, that family is a gift from God, right? That we have a built-in network of people that we're connected with, um, and it is a good thing. Even if your family is sort of like mine, you know, and it doesn't really work the way it's supposed to, family is still a gift, all right? Family is a gift of God. Now, but I want to take this idea of a family. I'm going, to, I'm going to leave the blood family there for a second. And I want to take this and I want to trace this through to the New Testament. Okay? Now, this is important and I want to drill down here. Because in most cultures, including the culture in which the, the Bible, the New Testament was written, uh, the most important thing about a person was their family, the group that they were a part of. It's called a group culture. What we have today is an individual culture where we sort of, you know, we believe that we can chart our own path and, you know, be our own person, la, 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 all that stuff. Um, but that is not, not the case when uh, in the New Testament times, okay? There was no, important, no more important thing about a person than the group that they were connected with, meaning their family or their clan. There was nothing more important than the family that you were a part of, okay? That's, this, that's the scene on which Jesus comes. And then what Jesus starts to do is he preaches things like, my family is those who does my will. Or he says, who are my, you know, the, uh, I can't remember exactly where it is, but there's this situation in the Gospels where uh, his actual mom and his actual siblings are saying, hey, you know, we, they want to talk to him. And his disciples are like, hey, Jesus, your mom wants to have a chat with you. And he says, who are my mother and my brothers? My family are those who do, that, that, that do my will, that, that follow my commands. Those are my family. Now, that was a radical thing for Jesus to say and a radical thing for Jesus to do. Because what he's doing is laying the groundwork for the church, the called out ones of God, followers of Jesus, who will then gather together in local churches. He's saying, now, these people are the most important relationships in your life. You now belong to a new group of people. And again, your group is the most important thing about you. And that's where we get the New Testament letters. Again, we don't think much of it when we read it because we're so used to it. But this is a radical thing for Paul to address his letters to the brothers and sisters in Corinth, whatever. He's saying that there is a, there is a new family there. Now, what Jesus is not doing, what Paul is not doing is saying that somehow our, our blood family is no longer important. Of course it is. Of course it is. That's the way that God designed us. But he's saying that there is another set of relationships that you are a part of now that is of utmost importance, and it is the relationships you have with the people who you're following Jesus with. Who, who you belong with, your group now, is something even more important. The church became a family. The church became a family. There's a new group that's the most important that defines your identity. And I think we need to work to get back to this idea that belonging to this family, this gathering of people is of utmost importance. All right, our belonging to the global church of Jesus Christ expressed in our local membership of a church, there's really nothing more important about us because it identifies who we are. It marks us out, right? So in some sense... I am more related to and connected to a Christian in the Middle East right now than I am my own neighbor that looks just like me that doesn't know Jesus. See? I am more connected 
to a brother or sister in Christ on the other side of the planet that looks nothing like me, that's in a completely different culture than I am my own neighbor that, lo- that, that looks just like me and does everything else I do, but that might not know Jesus. To put a finer point on it, I'm more related to my Nigerian sisters in Christ right here than I am my own sister if she doesn't know Jesus. You, you get that? That, that what, what happens here in the gathering of the people of God as a family really means something. And I think that this is the primary way that God has given us to combat loneliness. And what we need to, to be and to do is to restore this New Testament culture where we really are the moms and dads and the brothers and sisters in Christ that we actually are. That we would really live like that, that we would treat one another as brothers and sisters and that we would treat our uh, older uh, sisters in Christ as mothers in Christ. It's, you know, it goes down the line. I've said this before, but I, I hope that Knox has a whole room full of uh, moms and dads in Christ in this room. Because in some sense, when you belong to the church of Jesus Christ expressed in the local body here, we are responsible for one another. In the same way that you're going to take care of your sons and daughters by blood, we then take care of our sons and daughters in the faith. In the same way that you love and you care for and you are there for your brothers and sisters in in the flesh, you are there for and and support your brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, that's, that's what Jesus was doing and creating when he created the church, the called out ones. So, this gathering is the prime way that we fight loneliness, I believe, in this life. And we should know and pursue deep, intimate relationships with one another. Um, and again, behave like the, the mothers and the sisters and the brothers and the dads that we are to one another in Christ. So if we slip in and slip out of here Sunday after Sunday um, without any meaningful conversations, if we have no involvement with one another outside of these walls, we're really not being all that God has called us to be, and we create the opportunity for there to be loneliness within the body, which again is not who we were created to be because we're created in the image of God, created for community. We have each other, a great gift, a family. An author named uh, Rebecca McLaughlin posted some thoughts about, along these lines about the Sunday morning gathering at their church. And she said that her husband uh, has three rules of engagement that they go by when they enter into the gathering. Here are the three. An alone person is an emergency. Two, friends can wait. Three, introduce a newcomer to someone else. Now I would love if we would adopt these things because I think that if Jesus was a member of our church, these are the things that he would look out for. He would think an alone person is an emergency, right? If you see somebody sitting here in the gathering and they're alone, they clearly don't know what's going on, it is your job (laughs) to go and and talk with them and sit with them and connect with them. An alone person is an emergency. Secondly, friends can wait. You know, if we if we have people that we're more naturally connected with, of course we're gonna we're gonna hang out with them afterward, right? Um, But but in this gathering. Our other brothers and sisters, we want to put as more important. And then it's our job to also be connectors, right? If somebody comes in and they want to be a part of our family, we're going to connect them with other parts of the family as well. So let's adopt these things, okay? And now I know I am preaching to the proverbial choir here, uh, but this is the people that we are to be and what we're called to be. And again, I think this is the primary way that we fight against loneliness. This conversation gives me the ability to say one more thing. Sorry, I'll get off my soapbox after this, I promise. Um, Being online 
I do not believe is an adequate substitute for being embodied with the people of God gathered for worship. Okay? I don't really know a, an, a, another way to say that. I'm glad that we have technology. I'm glad that when you're sick, you can stay at home in your PJs and sing along and listen to the sermon. And I'm glad that Meemaw can watch me preach from Uluga, Oklahoma. Hi, Meemaw. Okay? I'm glad of those things, but it is not an adequate one-to-one substitute for being with the people of God gathered in worship. Now, again, you are the choir that I'm preaching to, uh, but encourage your, your friends in this as well to, to gather in worship with us. Okay? Um, now, yeah, I, I would say, like, uh, to illustrate, like, I think watching online is like candy, you know, and actually gathering here is like your protein and vegetables. It's like you really need, like, kind of the, the full steady diet. Okay, I'm done with that. Back to it. God created the family. God created the family, and now the church is a family, and that is how we fight against loneliness, okay? Now, the last thing that God created when he created the woman, when he created another human, to be in relationship with was he created friendship, didn't he? He created friendship when he created another human being. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't quote C.S. Lewis here. He says this, quote, friendship is unnecessary. It has no survival value, but it is one of those things that gives value to survival. You see that? Friendship has no survival value, but it gives value to survival. It is a gift of God that we could be in relationship, we could be friends with um, other people. You know, our brothers and sisters, they don't have a choice that they're our brothers and sisters. But friends, they do have a choice, and yet they still stick with us. You know? And that's what the Proverbs, uh, there are several Proverbs about friendship that's important that we could turn to. But we'll say this, that God has given us friendship as well to combat loneliness. We need one another. We need friends that love Jesus and love us, and they're going to tell us the truth, that are going to stick with us no matter what. And again, if we had the time, we could trace through the Proverbs about all of the, the good gifts uh, that friendship brings. Okay? Marriage, family, the church as a family, and friends are all gifts that God has given us to remedy and to fight against loneliness. We need each other, and we have each other in this room uh, to combat loneliness with. So, even if you're an introvert, get out there, talk to people, you know. Make it happen, okay? Now, I'm going to wrap up with this. Our band's going to come back up. We're going to respond in worship in just a second. But here's the thing. The greatest gift of all that God has given us to fight loneliness is his personal presence. This is the greatest gift of all, that God has given us his personal presence to always be with us. Yes, we are created for community, We are created to be in relationship with one another and we need one another. But um, our greatest need and our um, our greatest created need is to be in relationship with God. And God has done this in giving us his personal presence. It is a precious, precious gift. You know, um, sometimes as we are following Jesus, as we are living out the Christian life, we, we... are naturally going to be going against the grain of the rest of the culture. You know, we believe some things and we're going to live out some ways that doesn't go with the flow of of culture. And that can often leave us feeling lonely, right? David experienced this in Psalm 25, 16, uh, where he said, I am lonely. (laughs) He said that. As he was um, seeking to be faithful to God, as he was seeking to to live out his calling, uh, he said, "I'm, I'm lonely. And so we we can feel that way at times as we're following Jesus. This is a way um, 
that, that it could happen to all of us. But we have a precious, precious gift that God has given us himself. Jesus, before he gave his life to pay for sin, in uh, John 14 through 16, in, in the Last Supper, where we have a lot of Jesus' discourse, he, he teaches us about the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to take these and kind of put them together to, to teach us uh, what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit, who is now dwelling within us. Here's what Jesus said. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. He dwells with you and will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. I will send him to you. And when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me. And so Jesus promised that when he went away, that he would send another helper who would be with us and in us. And this helper is the Holy Spirit, God himself, that dwells within us. So if you are trusting in Jesus to save this morning, if you have given your life to Christ, you're trusting in him alone to save, you have the very presence of God dwelling within you. And that is something that nobody can ever take away. Ultimately, though you may at times feel alone in this world, you can know that you always have the presence of God. You always have God with you. Despite your feelings of loneliness, when you might not have deep, intimate connections with other humans, you can know that you can have a deep, intimate connection with God himself through the presence of the Holy Spirit dwelling within you. You can believe that and you can trust that. And ultimately, the only one who can truly alleviate our loneliness is the one who experienced loneliness on our behalf. You know, the Trinity, God um, himself, the Trinity was not ruptured when Jesus hung on the cross, but Jesus felt absolutely lonely. Where he cried out, Psalm 22, 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So because Jesus suffered immense loneliness on your behalf, you can now have the presence of God and you can experience communion with God and with others because of what Jesus has done. That's the truth that we can leave with today, that we can experience deep communion, deep relationships with God and with others because of what Jesus has done. Trust in Jesus and you can have his personal presence with you always and be with God for eternity. Now, let us work to alleviate loneliness in one another <laughs> as the people of God. Let's be the family that we were created to be and let us worship God together because we have his presence with us and among us always because of what Jesus has done. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you that you have done something about our loneliness. You've created other humans that we can be in relationship with. You've created a family of people here in this gathering that we can know and be known by and love. And Jesus, you said that uh, the world will know that 
we love you if we love one another. So help us to do that. Help us to be the type of people that self-sacrificially serve one another. And Lord, now let us respond in worship for what you have done for us. Thank you for your presence. May we never take it for granted. And may we always know that despite how lonely we feel, you are always with us and we can always come to you. We thank you. We praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you stand with me, we're going to respond in worship. You know, I always like to say that the word of God demands a response. Whether it's just us singing praises for what God has done, we can always do that. We're going to have a few prayer partners around the room. And uh, if there's anything that you need prayer for, anything going on, or if you're ready to um, step out and say, I, I want to be a part of the, this family here. Uh, I want to express that I uh, have trusted in Christ through baptism. If you're ready to do any of those things, uh, please talk to, to one of our people, um, one of our prayer partners. And if you have anything else going on, this is a time where we can, we can connect and, and really love one another. Uh, but for the rest of us, may we sing the praises of God for what he has done. We hope you are encouraged and challenged by what you heard today. If you'd like more information about Champion Forest Baptist Church, our service times, or how you can get connected, visit us at championforest.org. Thanks so much. Have a great day, and God bless.